Hello, good evening. Welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge. This is a show that's hosted by AC4. AC4 stands for the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. AC4 is housed at Columbia University's Earth Institute. This show is offered and co-sponsored by WKCR, 89.9 FM, Columbia University's public radio station in New York City. I'm excited to be here tonight with two special guests. The show um, brings in leading scholars, practitioners, and pioneers in the field of conflict resolution, violence prevention, and working to address issues on sustainability. Today, I'm, my name is Meredith Smith, and I'm the host of the show. I'm a project coordinator at AC4. We're going to talk about CMM. AC4 supports CMM as a way to address issues around violence, conflict, and sustainability. CMM is an acronym that stands for Coordinated Management of Meaning. It's a phrase that describes what we do when we communicate with each other. So this is something we'll, we'll talk about throughout the show tonight. I'm honored to introduce a specialist in CMM, Dr. Beth Fisher Yoshida. Dr. Fisher Yoshida specializes in CMM and in participatory action research as it applies to the practice of conflict resolution. She's a faculty member and the academic director of the Negotiation and Conflict Resolution Program at Columbia University. She's also the founder of FYI, Fisher Yoshida International, LLC, a firm that specializes in organizational development, corporate training, facilitation, mediation, and executive coaching. Additionally, Dr. Fisher Yoshida is an original host of this show, Conversations from the Leading Edge, and she continues to host today as well. I'm honored to introduce her and be the host having her on the show tonight. Thank you, Meredith. I appreciate it. Also, I have another great mind um, in the room, Vanira Kusari. Vanira is a project coordinator for the Urban Violence Prevention Project at AC4. She is an alumni of Columbia's Masters of Science in Negotiation and Conflict Resolution Program. That's the program that Dr. Fisher Yoshida directs. And she's worked extensively with international NGOs in the Balkans, mainly in Kosovo and has worked on issues as diverse uh, as disaster relief, refugees, gender equality, and minority rights in conflict and post-conflict settings. Her research focus is in inter-ethnic and community conflict through the lens of dynamical systems theory, a topic that we discussed on this show during September, and also in CMM, which we'll discuss tonight. She is interested in exploring the links between theory and practice and in conflict settings in particular. It's great to have you on the show, Vanira. Thank you, Meredith. Happy to be here. Welcome to you both. And let's start out right away with discussing CMM. Let's uh, start with a definition. What is CMM? Maybe Dr. Fisher Yoshida, you can start us with this. Give us an intro. Sure, sure. And please call me Beth. So CMM is a communication theory that takes a communication perspective. It's a theory and a practice, and it started in the 1970s at uh, University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And just to set the context a little bit, in those days, the communication discipline was very much made up of people who bought into the transmission model 
of communication. I am a sender of a communication. I encode a message. I send it to you. You receive it. You decode the message, try to make meaning out of it. Then you encode a message in response, send it back to me, and so on. So there's very much a back and forth, but individuals not necessarily in relation to each other except for the sent message. So when Barnett Pierce and Vernon Cronin, the creators of CMM, were together as faculty at UMass, they started something called CMM, and I'm not even sure if it was called CMM exactly early on, but it was leading towards that. And what they were saying is, you know what, there's so much more to communication than just a sender-receiver transmission model. There's something more about the relationship. Communication is a relational activity, and we create our relationships in communication, and then a series of relationships creates the social worlds we live in. So the quality of the communication impacts the quality of the relationship and the quality of the community. So back in the 1970s, they were quite radical. Today, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, sure, it makes sense that we have this kind of communication model, but this is more than 40 years later, and so the world has caught up to CMM. I'd like to think CMM was a little bit more advanced in the t at those times. So just a little bit of CMM can be used for research. CMM can be used in practice and applied. CMM can be used in lots of different ways, and in essence, there are different ways that, as humans, we make meaning. And supposedly, this is what differentiates humans from other animate ob objects in the world, is that we need to understand why. Why is this happening to me? What does this mean to me? And so we create this opportunity to create meaning with other people in relationship. And CMM is taught in schools. It's used in practice applications. And um, it continues to thrive and is connected to the CMM Institute, which I can talk more about later. Great. Many things to follow up on from what you've mentioned. Uh, I wanted to also ask Vanira to share about a current project you're working on with CMM. What is the role of, of CMM? Maybe just an introduction to that. Um, my uh, current project uh, is um, in Kosovo. Um, it's still in the process of development, uh, so I cannot. I can only talk uh, about CMM as I see it uh, being implemented, but it has not been implemented yet. Um, it's going to take place in Kosovo uh, with youth groups in high schools, um, youth ages uh, from uh, 15 to 20, 21. Um, <coughs> In, um, in the past uh, 15 years in Kosovo, after the war uh, um, of Yugoslavia, there has not, uh, there haven't been many projects that are focused in um, communication between communication between people um, in within communities. There have been many projects related to institutions, holding institutions uh, responsible for um, human rights and uh, and. Uh, um, state building, however, not so much uh, a focus on how to build peace within communities. And I think CMM is perfect for that um, because it, um, it, it pr uh, focuses on mindfulness in uh, making meaning um, in, within your identity and interaction uh, with others. Uh, understanding the context which, with which you are operating. Um, it has uh, the component of learning how to live uh, with mystery and how to make meaning of our lives and our world. Um, and I find this very powerful, uh, which is 
it's it's uh, invaluable in any uh, aspect of uh, life, but definitely I see this as a uh, influential tool in Kosovo working with youth groups. And it sounds like there is a body of research and and theory on this. And before getting into that and talking more about your project and also Beth, your project specifically. Um, could you share about how CMM shapes your program um, in ECR, the Negotiation and Conflict Resolution Program, specifically? And another question more generally, where you see the CMM approach coming into play in education for uh, conflict resolution practitioners? So CMM is interesting in the sense that when you become involved in using CMM, it's not just something you pick up and apply and put down and walk away from. The more you use CMM and the more you embody CMM, you become CMM in some sense. It sounds a little bit esoteric, but what happens is it really does influence how you see the world, how you make sense of the world, and how you act into or live into the world in which you are. And so it really does shape. It's a very formative theory. It shapes how you think and how you see. So for me, I thought it was an integral part of the program, and I wanted it to be, and I wanted to introduce it to people and not force it on people, but just sort of present it as another way of looking at things, as another way of expanding our perspectives. Because in the field of conflict resolution anyway, we need to really entertain alternative perspectives. Part of the issue of being in conflict is we have cognitive rigidity. We get very stuck in a certain mindset. And when people get stuck in their mindsets, it leaves them being very positional. And then they can't see the other side. They can't see the other perspective. They don't honor the other point of view. They don't even entertain the other point of view. So CMM allows for flexibility and agility in our thinking and realizing that, yes, as Veneer mentioned with mystery, there's so much we don't know. There's so much ambiguity and we have different levels of comfort with ambiguity. So CMM helps us understand that and say, oh, so we can embrace the mystery and approach it with curiosity. So we introduce CMM in many of the classes, and when it comes towards the capstone class, which is the final culminating experience in the master's program, many students choose to use CMM both as either a research methodology and approach and or as part of the intervention in workshops and other things they want to design in CMM. So I think that what happens, and my, my hope, is that it does shape how people see things. And I'm not saying how they should see things, but that they would then integrate CMM into their lives and change as a result of that. And I know you have written articles on this, and one of them was CMM as Reflective Practice for Conflict Resolution Practitioners, thinking about how we can shape the world with communication. Um, it sounds like CMM is a more than just a tool, and it's. I want to think more about how it bridges theory and practice. And so to return to... Um, Venera's project. Venera, could you tell more about how you turned to CMM for your project? Well, this project that I just talked about is uh, new, and um, 
I, and I am not an expert on CMM. I am uh, still a student. Uh, I have first been introduced uh, to CMM uh, in my master's degree program in negotiation and conflict resolution um, through Beth, who was my professor of uh, this particular class. Um, and then I've assisted Beth uh, in, uh, in, in, a, in a project that I work with in uh, workshops working with youth groups in Colombia. So I'm still uh, learning um, theoretically and practically about CMM. Um, as I said before, it's, um, I, I find it uh, extremely invaluable and I try to incorporate these concepts uh, in my own life. Um, and then uh, also as a practitioner to teach others uh, about peace building through CMM. It sounds like this is a very powerful tool that sometimes communications isn't considered in the toolkit with um, conflict resolution practitioners. But I think you're saying there's a real call for it for in development work and particularly in conflict context. Is that right? Yeah, I wanted to add on to the research practice connection and also being a reflexive practitioner. So there are different kinds of models or tools and concepts in CMM. So for example, there's the concept of logical force. And there are certain conditions that create a force for other things to happen. So if you are, let's say, an intervener in a conflict situation and you want to teach conflict resolution, you create a situation that creates a force to promote a certain kind of action or behavior to take place. There are certain contexts that are conducive to conflict resolution and some that are not. And our colleague Peter Coleman has written about ripeness, as has Zartman. And we want to understand how to create ripeness, which is creating a force that allows for conflict resolution to take place. So by using these different kinds of models and tools, they give us access into the messy world of data and complexity as a way of trying to make sense of this mess. I think that um, very strongly, I believe, that as practitioners, we need to be reflective and reflexive. And what that means is that we don't necessarily assume that we're the experts. We may have expertise, just like Venera mentioned she's a student. I'm also a student of life. Even though I've been using CMM for many years, it doesn't mean I stopped learning. I still learn. I learn through my use of CMM with others. I learn by how I apply it to other situations. I learn from the people I work with. It's one of the reasons I teach is I learn from my students as well. I work in, with youth groups. I learn from them and so on. So there's a real mutual benefit of learning, and that's the world we're making, the relationships we're making is mutual gain. It's not that I stand on a perch and sort of tell that to people. So that when we are in the field and doing any kind of work, it's really important to have a practice of reflection to understand what happened how was I in that situation? How was I acting and behaving in that situation? What did I cause to happen? What did I cause not to happen? What else could have happened? And I really do a lot of that reflective practice. And CMM is a way also of being a tool as a vehicle to enter into that world of being reflective and reflexive. The reflexive part would be I'm not necessarily reflecting on something that happened. I'm reflecting in the moment of something happening and trying to be astute to what's going on and what are the possibilities of what I could help create. So there are some specific uh, models that have been developed and are part of CMM, like the DAISY model and the hierarchy model. And I'm 
new to this also, but I know some of the, the vocabulary from being around AC Force and um, from reading your writing, um, Beth. And I'm wondering, just for, for our listeners and to get some, make sure one thing um, is clear, if is there a goal of CMM and... Um, whether you know what would you explain is the the purpose so one thing is also the title of a book that Barnett wrote is uh, making social worlds and we want to make better social worlds we just want and the social world can be a life world or any community we're in the family we're in the classroom we're in any relationship we're in that's our social world we are social beings and there's a concept of cosmopolitan communication which is also part of CMM and other people have also used cosmopolitan communication but if you ask the question like, what if, what if people were able to take a meta perspective on what's happening and step outside of their own world and see the world from other perspectives? What if people were able to really have very healthy, respectful dialogues with each other as a way of understanding difference and not negating difference, but appreciating difference? What if we were able to communicate in a way that would reduce violence in abusive violence, meaning uh, language or actual physical violence or any other kind of violence, even structural violence. You know, it's all those what if we can create that kind of world which is generative and creates better lives for everybody. I think that's the purpose of where CMM is going, is helping people deal with their situations in a way that's healthier, more constructive, makes people happier, and it's not a la-la-la, you know, aren't we all happy skipping through the fields and picking daisies? Not by any means. It just means that we have the ability and the confidence to address real issues that we face in a very healthy, constructive way rather than letting them control us. We can have more agency in our lives. And to talk about a specific case, um, you have the Urban Violence Project, which Vineer also assists on and um, works with through AC4. And this is a very interesting model that you use within this project that's a collaboration between you and Aldo Civico at uh, Rutgers University and then also with youth groups in Colombia. And I'm hoping you can explain to us a little bit more about how CMM plays out functionally in this context? Mm -hmm, sure. So I also want to mention dynamical systems theory. And dynamical systems, the way we use it with uh, the youth and community leaders in Medellin, in Colombia, is that we help people to map out the complexity of their world to understand why the violence happened the way it did and why things are the way they are now with a hope towards creating a better future. And CMM, the way we use it there, gives them the broadening of their perspectives and the communication tools to then engage with one another and different groups to really explore the phenomenon that they've faced in their lives and continue to face. For example, in Medellin, there are many areas which have a lot of displaced people from the violence that happened over the years. And so when people are displaced, as we know now, the refugee crisis and migrant uh, issues are very big in the world and will continue to grow as climate change and wars continue. What happens then with people's sense of belonging and people's sense of identity? CMM allows people to talk about that in ways that they hadn't been able to before. So it gives them access 
to constructively addressing their emotions and uh, connecting with other people and trying to build a sense of community, which is what they're doing. And so what's so inspiring about working with them, as Vera can also attest to, is that they're so hungry for learning and so hungry for information and other perspectives that we do what I feel is like a little bit and just introduce it and work with them on it and help them understand it. And they take it and run with it and grow and spread it and use it with other people. And I think that um, one of the things that I find so inspiring is that people really embrace and take to CMM in a very natural way. It's not forced at all. And I don't come in saying this is the model. When I'm in a classroom, I'm a little bit more theoretical in how I talk about the behind the scenes life of CMM and how it came about and what it means from a research perspective. When I'm in the field, I don't. I sometimes don't even call it by CMM. Sometimes I don't even uh, give the formal name of the models or the theory because I don't want to alienate people. If people are interested in learning, then I'm happy to teach them all that part of it as well and share that. If uh, like one model is called the loot model, which is about stories. So I may just call it the storytelling model so then people can have access to it. And what I really want is that accessibility. So the level of complexity I go into depends on the audience and how people, I think, want to or need to hear about it. Would you explain it as a workshop? Um, when you do one of the models, for example, the the loop model, would you say doing a workshop and leading these we youth? Do, yeah, we could do it as part of a workshop. We could do it as part of a conversation. If I'm doing a needs assessment with somebody on something, even when I work in organizations, I can have the loop model, but I'm not necessarily calling it the loop model. So I'm saying, so what are the stories that you tell about the way you live your life? What are the stories that that are unknown, that you don't know? What are the stories you don't tell? What are the untold stories? What do you feel you've been trying to say, but people are not hearing? Those are the unheard stories and so on. So I do it in a conversational way in that context so people can respond and connect with it. Great. And having the chance to hear from Venera as you're thinking about implementing these uh, workshops or tools and going further into the the research on it yourself, I'm wondering if you can share already maybe some challenges that you're facing or lessons that you've you've learned already from your thinking on development for your project. Well, the challenges are uh, that this is behavioral change, and uh, it takes a long time to see the results. Um, so that's uh, that's a little bit. You, that's also um, being, which I have to incorporate it as a facilitator and a designer of this project uh, to be comfortable with uh, this uncertainty about how is it going to go? When do I uh, see the results? Um, um, but uh, I've seen, as Beth uh, talked about uh, the workshops she and Aldo holds in Colombia, I have seen uh, the transformation just uh, uh, with one session, during one workshop, you see that something is happening. Um, so I'm confident that uh, the cha change happens when uh, teaching CMM. Um, but it takes a long time, and it is also because it is not only um, information processes, because it is a tool that involves dynamics of language, psychology, physiology, and environment, among many other um, dynamics and mechanisms, 
Um, so it requires more work in uh, on the side of the participants. Um, so that's another challenge, but uh, we, but it's such an exciting tool that uh, everybody who um, takes CMM as a part of their um, life, they really become excited about it, and nobody quits. And so it's it is something that uh, you you will become confident uh, that. Uh, you, you will create positive change. It makes me think of an open source idea, you know, something that once you share it, it becomes somebody else's. And um, very powerful. So I'm, I see that there's such a gift in having it be this iterative process and that you can, it's something that allows one to be a learner and a teacher with it. Um, and allows for on an individual level as well as a community level. And we have said a lot on this podcast and elsewhere on the importance of sustaining peace. We have a, a conference, as you all know, from AC4 that focuses on, on sustaining peace, and I'm wondering about long-term peace building. And if fully executed, um, CMM looks to enhance personal and social evolution holistically and sustainably. Can we talk more about how you see these benefits from CMM rolling into sustainable peace? Both of you, whoever wants to speak first. Yeah, so I think that because you become CMM and CMM becomes you, it naturally changes the way you see the world, the way you see yourself, the way you see other people, that it lends itself towards healthier relationships and when you have a healthy relationship and a healthier system within which we live then I think you have opportunities for sustaining a peaceful world because you're making peace by being who you are and that CMM allows for that and it's wonderfully creative and I remember in working with Barnett many times if you'd say well is it this or is it that he'd say yes <laughs> so there was a great deal of flexibility of course there are some basic principles and practices of CMM that we honor. At the same time, I cease to be amazed at how wonderfully expressive and creative people can be. And even, for example, as Veneer was talking, I'm already thinking, oh, wow, I can do, I'm thinking of this other activity to do with the daisy model. So, for example, the daisy model is people know daisies, and I've learned in Spanish it's margarita, and that you put yourself or whatever it is you want to explore in the center. And then around the petals, you can write down the significant influences on whatever it is in the center as a way of more fully exploring what's created that dynamic or what's created me as a person or what's created me as a conflict resolution practitioner. And so now I was thinking, you know, I use the daisy a lot in different contexts. And sometimes I don't do more with the daisy than other have group discussions and so on. But I'm thinking, what if? we really dove into each of those petals. What if we actually created skits about them and did drama or music or some raps with them or rhymes, you know? And then you really started to explore how did that really more fully influence what's happening in the center of the daisy? We could just do a week on a daisy model, one daisy model, you know? And that would be like so exciting. And I've seen so many different interesting daisies that people have come up with. And it's such a simple activity when you introduce it it's so easy to access but so profound in what comes out of it and as people start to talk about 
the different influences. For example, family. I think everybody puts down family in one way or another as an influence on their lives. And then when they really dive into, well, in what ways has your family influenced you? Who in your family has influenced you? Whose voice do you continue to hear in your head? What is that voice saying? How has that shaped who you are today? How would you change that story if you could? How would you change that if you wanted to? And so on and so forth. There are just so many ways of exploring that, but yet so accessible. And I see that uh, in Veneer's project in Kosovo, there are so many wonderful opportunities to help people shape their future. You know, they went through tragedy in the past, some people being born post-war, so they did not directly experience the war, but indirectly they're still experiencing the war because of the environment. There are so many opportunities of how to build a better community and a better social world across difference when difference was one of the reasons why there was a war to begin with in the first place. Yeah, I see... um communication as a tool for conflict resolution, uh, that we overlook uh, communication. We live our lives in a mechanical way. We repeat stories uh, that um, generations before us has uh, told us, and we relive those stories. And um, so we never really uh, uh, look at the details of uh, communication, how, what is influencing how we think about things. And uh, so CMM provides uh, us with tools to get unstuck from those narratives uh, that uh, are not uh, constructive anymore. So they give us a different uh, framework to, to, to see our, our worlds with. Um, and I think um, that um, is uh, that is something that is uh, missing so far in conflict resolution uh, approaches. I think uh, communication is a, a new a new it's giving a new um, platform in conflict resolution in post post war uh, context and. Um, in war context, such as, you know, now with refugee crisis. You know, the other thing I was going to add is we've been talking a lot about conflict, conflict resolution, peace, and some, just everyday life. You know, I work in organizations a lot, and people need to work with one another. People need to work together towards accomplishing or achieving some shared goal or purpose in an organizational context. We talk about teams. People are thrown into teams, and they said, okay, be a team. Well, what does it mean to be a team, and who are these people on the team? I have certain impressions of who I think they are, but do I really know people fully? So by using CMM as a method through which we become a team, you can use any of the tools and approaches so people really get to understand each other and be able to really work together more constructively because you need to – work with people. And when you go to a work environment where people don't get along or don't enjoy being there, that really has a very negative impact on your health, your psychological health, emotional health, and your physical health with a lot of absenteeism and so on. So that CMM is just an everyday life tool and approach and practice. It is. Oh, if I may add that um, it, it the, the concepts uh, the concept of coherence is very important in CMM. Co- uh, being coherent in wherever you are in a work setting, at home, family, wherever environment that you find yourself with, to be um, uh, whole with other people and with yourself, and 
only in that way uh, can our, our existence become meaningful and, and uh, constructive by giving uh, um, consideration into that uh, time yourself, that you find yourself in a certain time and with other people, communication with everything around you. Which speaks to coordination. We've mentioned coherence, we've mentioned mystery, and we can't leave out coordination <laughs> as in the name. So it's that coordination and coordinating between the space between and between people and environment to make meaning. That's very critical. So these are three key principles, if you will, of CMM. Yes. Is that right? So uh, coherence, coordination, and mystery. Mystery. Uh, I, I love you all's enthusiasm and also share this excitement for this seeming simple tool that is really a powerful way to engage complexity and that allows a person to do it on their own on a day-to-day -day way and then also with these larger issues. It sounds like you're talking about meta-narratives and mm -hmm. large historical contexts that people sort of, as Professor Coleman says, to complicate in order to simplify that sometimes um, it, it seems like this exemplifies that in a wonderful way um, I wanted to return to one element that Beth you brought up at the beginning talking about this group of practitioners that use CMM is there's a CMM Institute and they they offer a learning exchange every year as well as further the research and theories of CMM and Given your experience and leadership within this group, uh, can you share um, more about who the individuals are in this group and perhaps key um, accomplishments? Sure. So just so I can give a shout out to the Institute, and the website is cmminstitute.net. And I think one of the interesting things, I am on the board of the Institute, and a couple of years ago we decided that we didn't want to be a traditional board whatever that means. We wanted to be more emergent and to focus on areas where we have energy and passion. And there's no shortage of energy and passion. And what it means is that we create a dynamic to develop the areas within which we really care and have energy for. And naturally, different things have developed. It's a very accepting, open, nurturing environment. Everybody's welcome. We do have a learning exchange, as you mentioned, once a year. And interestingly enough, it's called learning exchange, not conference, because we believe everybody has something to contribute. And we're all at different levels of development and knowledge about CMM and life in general. So everybody's welcome to come and attend and share and learn. And this is uh, very much a part of the design. And we're very intentional about how we design our interactions to foster that kind of behavior, which is very CMM-ish. Right, And so people work in a variety of contexts. We have some people who have more scholarly pursuits. Some people have very much more practitioner pursuits. They work with government agencies. They work in communities and schools and so on. And uh, I encourage people to go to the website and to look and see. We have quite a few resources there to learn more about it and to feel free to reach out to anybody and to become an associate and learn more about the Institute. I think just one more question. And um, that is looking ahead, what questions are you asking to face down the next stages in your work, uh, both for your project, Venera, and then also for CMM in general and the 
perhaps with the community of CMM practitioners that you mentioned or uh, in your education program at Columbia? So right now we're going through a process of looking at the curriculum and making it tighter and uh, more thorough, more uh, fuller in certain ways. So we're really looking at the thread of CMM throughout the program, which is a lot of fun. In terms of um, CMM also, I just want to mention that um, there is a project called Cosmo Kids, and it's wonderful for young children, and there's puppets and cards, and we've had some wonderful success with that, both uh, in the U.S. and Norway as well. And um, there are tools and kits so teachers can just integrate this into their classrooms in a very easy way, and that's really changing future generations by getting people, little kids, to start to think about how they are and how they treat other people. A colleague of mine, Eileen Wasserman, and I are co-editing a series of books. We're still on the first one, but we have one coming out soon, and that's really about a foundational, uh, um, foundational to CMM. And then we have one coming out also on research that some of my colleagues have co-authored, and we are encouraging other people to publish with us. And we're doing something off of the Appreciative Inquiry Thin Book Series, or Taos Institute has a series of thin books too. And it really is about CMM and leadership, CMM and coaching, CMM and whatever topic we want to talk about, because we do have some other books that are out. We have a book out about different areas of practice, and we just want them to be thin, specific, focused, and people could just pick up a whole series of them and enjoy reading them. And that's, that's our next project that's happening between now and one year from now. Thank you. Um, yeah, with my work, I think uh, um, hopefully uh, the project that I've started will take off uh, soon in Kosovo. Um, and then I would like to expand, not um, just uh, to remain working with uh, youth groups, but I would like to work with women on this, as for some reason I see women being more perceptive to these concepts, to self-development, and then um, subsequently um, working with a larger, uh, in larger context in with different communities. Great. And if you all had any concluding remarks, if, if you wanted to add more, I think we have covered um, many exciting current happenings and given a great background on CMM. In addition to um, CMM Institute's website, AC4 has some information about CMM on our website. And it's been wonderful to explore this theme of com communication shaping our world and specifically how CMM can shape our world, world in conflict resolution. And it's been a real honor to have you both on the show. Thank you very much, Beth and Venera. And I hope to continue this conversation again in the future. And so thank you, Meredith. And just to say that any listener who's curious about CMM and wants to have a conversation about CMM, I'm always happy because I live vicariously with other people's projects and always happy to talk about CMM. So I am accessible in that way. Thank you so much, Beth. And thank you for giving time to come on our conversations from the leading edge and tune back in in future months. Later this winter, Beth will be hosting a show also, so you can catch her on the, the other side of the table, if you will. So thank you all for joining us, our listeners out there.